Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Weldon Rodenberg back at his normal Sunday slot. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation. We talked Ole Miss's win over Auburn, the uh, issues stopping the run, the dominance in the run game, um, missed tackling, Ole Miss missing some pieces on the offensive line, dart evaluation, and uh, once again revisiting this team's ceiling as they move to 7-0, and heading to Baton Rouge with everything in front of them very much attainable. So I think you'll enjoy the pod. It's a great conversation. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. He is a real estate agent based in Oxford. Whether you're looking to buy or sell a home, Ray can help you out. Both of those and make the process easy. He provides individual service to each and every customer, whether you're looking for a two-bedroom condo or your five-bedroom dream house. Ray can hook you up with which at whatever your needs are. He'll sit down, listen to what you're looking for, and help you with options that will meet your needs and help you find a home you will cherish. Or if you're looking to sell a home, he will make sure you get the best possible price and help you find that next place wherever it is you may be going. You need to check him out. All you have to do is give him a call at 601-624-4824. Maybe you went to Oxford this weekend. You probably enjoyed it. Ole Miss went to 7-0, and but you don't have a place to stay. You paid for an overpriced hotel room. How about just finding a place up here? Give Ray Stevens a call. He will help you do that, and boom, all of a sudden you have a year-round getaway to Oxford or maybe you're looking to move to Oxford full-time. He can help you find the best possible house to meet your needs. Or you're selling, trying to buy another one. Let him remove the hassle from the selling process. Check him out. Ray Stevens, Square Real Estate. That's 601-624-4824. Give him a call. Tell him we sent you, and he'll get you all hooked up. I wouldn't send you to people I don't trust. Ray is a rock star. You need to check him out. Ray Stevens at Square Real Estate. Broker number 662-832-7777. Podcast is also brought to you by Skyblock Sports Picks. Who is Skyblock Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skyblock Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skyblock to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Hitting on college football at 60% this year. You know who's not hitting at 60%? Neither you or I or you out there who aren't using Skyblock. If you are using Skyblock, then you know all about this. You need to check them out. They're going to find a picks package to fit your price range that's month-long, season-long, you try it for a week, a day, I don't know, a month. You can go all sports, sports-centric, whatever the case may be. All you have to do is go online, find a picks package, whether it's college, NFL, all sports. Type it in. They'll send you a nice emailed spreadsheet each week, and boom, you're better equipped to profit than you were 10 minutes prior. You don't need to go off your own knowledge and your own brain. It's never going to work in the long run. You need to give the professionals a call. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's football Football correspondent, resident LSU fan, former Ole Miss recruiting spy, uh, Weldon Rodenberg. Ole Miss 7-0 and after a 48-34 win over the Auburn Tigers in a game that we were talking about right before we started recording. Felt like a marathon in its own right. I know you had the lightning delay. It was just a long game in general. Um, that was a classic college football, why does this take so long type of thing. Uh, oh, yeah. I was talking to my girlfriend's dad about that. It's like, you know, the NFL gets this done in like three hours every week. But uh, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to uh, take anything from it. But Ole Miss uh, does come out with a win. There was some good in there. There was some bad. 
I guess we'll kind of start with the general thought. It would just, I, I don't know. I mean, they checked another box, right? They went seven and oh, but there was some good in it, but there was probably more bad than good last this week. Whereas last week I was like, you know, that wasn't a great start, but I actually felt like there was more good. I felt the opposite this week. Yeah. I think that's understandable that they still have yet to play a complete four quarter game. And, you know, maybe they're a team that just doesn't do that. I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, the other team is playing too. Um, and I give a little bit of credit to Auburn for like fighting back. I mean, that could have been a uh, capital Q quit game for them down 21 to zero. Um, so credit to them. But I think Ole Miss, you know, some of the same issues that they've had in the past few games played them again today. Uh, tackling was not good. Um, I know Tank's a great player, but I mean, they had him. Uh, you know, in the backfield or a one guy needs to make a play and they just really never made it um, in kind of that middle eight, second quarter, third quarter of the game. Um, they struggled to get a lot of pressure on Ashford, and I think it was semi by design. Um, and I think we can talk about my thoughts on design, you know, kind of towards towards the end. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, they're kind of beginning to win te- win games like NFL teams do where – you know, really good teams just find a way to win no matter how the game flow goes. And they, they've continued to do that. And obviously, I'm not comparing them to an NFL team. But, you know, those games, like, are, are rarely blowouts. Um, and sometimes they are. And, you know, Ole Miss, you know, whether it's the run game or whether, like, Vanderbilt, it's Dart making plays in, um, in the passing game or if it's other games like Troy and Tulsa where the defense begins to step up. Uh, and Kentucky where the defense steps up. They're, they're just kind of doing it in different ways. Uh, I still don't know if this team's any good. Um, I'm being dead honest. It, it, it is really difficult to tell, but at the end of the day, who really cares because they're undefeated? Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right on that. And like the, it's the, it's how good, right? I, I mean, I'm not like splitting hairs, like, like picking your words apart, but that's the kind of where I fall where it's like, I know they're pretty good. I just don't know how good with the way the West is set up, which we'll get into later in the show, like lends yourself to asking this whether this team is capable of expectations that are quite high without thinking this team is very good and it's a very or great I should say and that yeah it's a weird year in that sense and I thought the same thing man at 21 nothing I was like this could be Auburn quitting I I'm not the big I was sitting in the south end zone I'm not the biggest body language uh expert in the world I don't put you know, a great deal of stock in that. But you look at that Auburn sideline when Ole Miss got up 21 nothing. Auburn had a couple of turnovers there early. I was like, this could get ugly. This could get real weird. And to Auburn's credit, like you said, that it didn't get that way. They continued to play well. They continued to fight. They benched the quarterback for a series and then brought him back in, and he played pretty well after that. The yeah. story of this game, if you want to get off to the bad part of it um, or get started with the bad part of it for Ole Miss, was obviously the running game, right? They give up a bunch of yards on the ground. I think Auburn ran for, I had it up a second ago, but I lost it. Like 330 yards in the game. Wasn't great, but Ole Miss kind of counters that by running for 300 or 448 of their own, which will play any day of the week. I just, it was one of those things where it, I wrote before the game, it was going to be more of an indictment on Ole Miss had Tank, uh, Auburn and Tanks Bigsby had success in the running game because Auburn hadn't really had success against any power five opponent. I think in the previous three SEC games, Bigsby uh, had averaged 2.6 yards a rush. I was re-watching the game today and ESPN had a great stat against power five opponents. 
he'd averaged like 0.4 yards before contact, Awful. which is like the perfect stat. I mean, it, I read an Auburn beat writer, uh, his column earlier in the week, talking about how it's impossible to evaluate Tank Bigsby's season because he is a very good running back, but he's running behind basically, you know, five ghosts, and he might be better off if they were actually ghosts because fewer holding penalties and false starts and things like that. Yeah. He really had a ton of success. The tackling in the second level wasn't great um, no. by any standard. That had been a problem for a couple weeks. And, you know, couple that with Ashford being pretty dynamic in the running game and really just dynamic with his feet, extending plays, making plays, running the football, even if it was a caught passing down. Ole Miss just didn't really have more, much of an answer, and I think that's probably the most concerning part for this team going forward. I just pulled it up. Auburn runs it 48 times for 301 yards, 6.3 yards a rush. That's including the sack yardage. Bigsby touches it 20 times for 179. That's nine yards a rush. And if you even take out the 50-yard Bigsby run, it's still 6.3 on 19 other carries. Jarquez Hunter, 10 for 80. I don't think it takes a math genius. That's eight yards a touch. Just was not great overall. And they're going to play kind of a better version of that next week in LSU. You've got Jaden Daniels, who can run the uh, extend plays with his feet. Not great in the passing game, but for what he is, he runs the football pretty well. And in that sense, Ole Miss didn't really pass the litmus test this week. You know, I thought if they handled business pretty easily, they didn't let Auburn get going in the running game. I didn't think Auburn could beat them passing the football, particularly with Ashford at quarterback. And Ole Miss really kind of failed in that regard. And, you know, some yeah. context is required, right? Said Johnson couldn't go. I don't think Said Johnson is, you know, making all the world of difference in the running game. Maybe it helps contain Ashford some and not let it getting outside of the pocket. But I think that probably was the big takeaway from this game. And I don't know how much to take from it because college football is a such a week-to-week -week sport, right? They're going to hear about how terrible they are for six days this week if they came out locked in and played awesome defensively against LSU. It wouldn't stun me. But the part that makes me think it's a reoccurring issue is the fact that the tackling, particularly beyond the defensive line when a bat gets in the second level, has been poor for most a lot of the season, sporadic points throughout the season at minimum. And it was that way again, and that that's going to become a real issue for this team because they won't get away with another rushing performance like that from a run defense standpoint. No, they definitely will not. And it's it's weird because we've seen them be good tackling as a right. team individually, uh, just in certain parts of the season. I think what this defense and what this coaching staff needs to you know let these guys know is that they are absolutely not talented enough to not be focused 100% of the time. And I, I feel like we've seen them throughout some of these games just not have this, you know, 100% focus against Tulsa, against, you know, Auburn when they were up 21-0, against Vanderbilt early on. And when they don't have that focus and they aren't playing with 100% intensity, they're not talented enough just to kind of wake up and go kick somebody's ass yet. Um, so I'm not, you know, totally giving up on this team. Um, I, I am going to give credit to Auburn because I think they did some things well. I mean, when, when Ole Miss kind of only rushed three, drop eight, uh, I mean, they weren't even sniffing Ashford. You know, I don't, he's not very good, but he's fully capable of completing a pass to a wide-open receiver. Um, the biggest concern is, is when they're giving you run cues, when they've got two tight ends in there, and you just completely lose contain. Or, oh, and there's Mahomes with a pick, and that's game. Wow. wow. Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry, I get, you know, like a squirrel sometimes. I'm watching I've got it game. up as well. <laughs> um, where were we? Uh, so talking about just intensity on defense. So I, they're going to have to have it because LSU, I watched that entire game. They 
are a complete up and down team, but what they can do is have a really dynamic quarterback who is even probably even slipperier, slipperier than Ashford and kind of they found something in the uh, throwing game against Florida. Uh, but I, they can do it, kind of at the beginning of my point. They absolutely can tackle. They can gang tackle. They can tackle in the open field. They're just going to have to really, really, really keep that intensity 100% throughout an entire game to prove it. Yep, and that's going to be the ultimate test. I mean, we talked about how weird this schedule is. This team is not going to play a true road game until technically what it would be the fourth Saturday in October. Um, and that's that's really going to be kind of the, the what to watch for this week. Can this team go play better defensively and go win a tough ga- a game in a tough environment like that? And, you know, this wasn't the uh, – from a defensive standpoint, this wasn't the greatest uh, dress rehearsal. I guess you can't call it that because this game did count and would have been a crippling loss for Ole Miss. But in terms of just the last thing you see before they go down to LSU, it wasn't great. And I'm just curious, like – I know this is a tough question to answer, but what do you make of it? Like they, they've – you know, they've had a lot of secondary guys that are super athletic that play around the line of scrimmage that have been good at times this year. That was kind of their calling card last year. But it's it's been a lot worse from a tackling standpoint this year um, a lot of the time. What, what do you think goes into that? I know I've talked to – we talked before about, you know, some of it probably is the fact they just don't practice tackling a ton more. I know that's that was a common refrain when Ole Miss was really bad defensively overall. But just what do you think it is? Is it just bad fits? Is it guys out of position? I get when you get to smaller players, naturally it's going to be harder to bring a guy down like that. But just it seems like there were a lot of missed tackles, and I'm just curious, like what do you think goes into that? Is it a focus thing? Is it a game plan thing? Where does that come from? They can improve it because they've shown it. I'm just curious, like, What's the difference between when it is happening and isn't happening? And I guess it's simplest, most simple form. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think focus is obviously a huge part of it, in my opinion, because of what we've seen, you know, these players be capable of. I mean, when AJ Finley misses tackles, like, you know, he can make those tackles. Same with Otis Reese, same with Tennyson, but they just have been incredibly inconsistent. The, the biggest thing that I've noticed is really the angles that they're taking especially from the linebackers. You know, I I think Troy Brown has played great. I think Keyes has done good things. But there are times when, you know, they're running, you know, let's say just like an outside zone play where they are just not taking the right angles. I mean, I saw it, especially with Ashim Young one time on that 50-yard tank run. It was either Ashim or Tennyson where, like, they just completely overrun tank. He makes just a simple cutback move and is gone for 50. And then, you know, when he's in the open field, you can only, you know, get so much help from those guys when he's, you know, at full speed. That's something they definitely have to work on. Uh, I think the defensive line, you know, kind of creating a little bit more havoc on the inside is definitely something that's going to be important for these guys um, to kind of open up those holes, make those fits easier for the linebacker to see. Um, I think Kari Coleman getting back and getting healthy and getting uh, – you know, into more game flow is going to be important because he's really the only linebacker they have with like legit speed, um, which is so huge, obviously, in this league with some of the athletes you're going against. Uh, because I mean, like I said, I love Troy and Keys, but they're definitely kind of inbox linebackers. You don't want them in space too much. Um, and then, you know, Sistrunk's playing and he's like a solid depth guy, but he also has some real issues with angles as well. There's a dip when he comes on the field. I'm glad you brought that up. That was a note I had written down. And you're right. You're right about the angles piece of it, too. Tennyson did it again on a run where they kind of ran an outside toss to I can't remember if it was Hunter or uh, Hunter or Tank Bigsby. But uh, Tennyson had him in the backfield and just took a rough angle, kind of caught the like left side of his right or left side of his left leg 
And that could have been about a six-yard loss to start a drive for Auburn. Instead, Auburn gained three yards. I don't particularly remember off the top of my head what they did with that drive, but there were four or five instances of that. And then you talk about the linebacker play. It is, right. They got two pretty decent linebackers. Troy Brown, a little undersized. Austin Keys, pretty good. But like you said, they're in-the-box linebackers. And when they have to go somewhere else outside of them, there is a drop-off. I didn't think Ashanti's this Trump played particularly well. He seems a little bit slower than those other two. That's just an observation. Just sure. off, you know, eye test, you know, stuff watching it live. They lack that. I think Kari Coleman getting back healthy will help that. I think that's a piece of it as well. But it is interesting that you know they had two really, really good linebackers in Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell last year. Jake Springer was really good by the line of scrimmage, and they've replaced them decently well. It just seems like when either one of them being keys. And um, Keys and Brown have to come off the field or and they're given a different look and it's Sistrunk or whoever else. It seems like there's a bit of a drop off and they don't really have the depth there, which was not a big surprise. Right. We knew that coming into the year. That was a bit of a question mark. Um, I've been a little underwhelmed that the defensive line kind of run stopping. Right. It seems like it gets to the second level a little more often. So I think it is fixable. I just don't know if this team will ever get to a point to where no matter who the team is, who the opponent is running game, they're not getting more than 85, 90 yards. And that's just kind of how they do things. I don't think this is this type of team. They just need to find ways to be not as bad as they were on Saturday because they can survive with these group and be perfectly fine. Yeah. Just if you have another one of those against LSU or AM, they I think they will beat you. I think those teams have more talent on the defensive side of the football or a little bit more talent around them offensively to where you will actually lose those games, not to mention they're on the road. Whereas Auburn just didn't really have the pieces around it to capitalize on that. Not dynamic enough in the passing game. The defense didn't play very well. Whereas this felt like, okay, they got away with this one, but I don't think they'll get away with it again with any opponent on their schedule. No, I don't think they will either. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest concerns I had was, you know, when they would rush three, kind of drop seven, drop eight. They have Coleman there to, to spy Ashford. And I mean, it's like three or four times he just completely loses him and takes the incorrect angle. Or, you know, Ivy, you know, he rushes to the inside of the tackle. So then he completely loses contain. I think it's just some of these small things that are very, very coachable um, that they have to get cleaned up because, Jaden Daniels is not a, an elite quarterback by any means, but he sure as hell is an elite athlete and is way, 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 way more capable than Ashford on the run, throwing the ball. And it looks like, unfortunately, and typically LSU really found something uh, in the passing game against a pretty bad floor defense, but still they've got the athletes and Daniels has the ability to really, really hurt you. If you lose contain, if you lose your lanes, uh, against those guys and like I said it's coachable it's noticeable but I think though um, they definitely have the athletes and the ability to fix it um, I think they need to get a little bit more in the interior Pegues looked exhausted in this game I'm not sure I mean he's playing a lot of snaps you know they haven't rotated that line as much as they did earlier in the year they had to go to a little Xavier Harris, the true freshman from Canton. Mm -hmm. He got a couple snaps. I'd be curious to see how many, but to your point, Pegues definitely had to play a lot of snaps. And I don't know what the deal was there, but you saw, you know, a guy like Harris that hasn't played a ton this year having to come on to at least seemingly give him a blow a little bit, but you're right, right. he's on the field a ton. Yeah, no, absolutely. I need. I haven't seen if Chase put the snap counts up yet. Uh, I'd be interested to, interested to see what they were. But, I mean, these guys are playing a lot of snaps on defense. You know, I think they have some trust and some backup guys, but you're kind of getting to a point in the season where, you you know, it, every game is the season. 
I mean, truly, if you want to have a special year, every game is absolutely crucial and you can't just be rotating like crazy because you have to trust your guys in the field. Um, so I, it'll be very interesting to see what the snaps were and kind of if they can develop a few more guys they trust in both the front seven and the back. Yeah, and you mentioned the spying piece of it. When, you, when Ashford kept getting loose, I mean, I had people behind me like wondering why they aren't doing a spy on running quarterback. And, of course, it's much harder to watch it in the game and live action than seeing it on TV to where I wasn't going to pretend that I knew that they had a spy on or whatnot. It was just very hard to tell. Whereas, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, clearly they're not idiots. Like they, they clearly had, like, I would be hard pressed to wager on the fact that they're just like, nah, we're not going to spy this kid that runs more than he throws. It just probably speaks to the bad angles. Like you mentioned, where they just lose containment said Johnson, not being available to play probably hurts to some respect with that, but they didn't do a good job with it. And that kind of falls into the angle tackling category of it as well. And so again, we kind of talked it into the ground here, but they are just going to have to be better. I mean, I was talking to a couple of people after the game and I, man, what do you think about LSU next week with, you know, the way they performed against the run? And I was like, I mean, galaxy brain take here. They're just going to have to play better and tackle better. That's really kind of the, uh, the end of story on that one. Um, but on the flip side of it, they, you know, they countered that and they ran it really, really well. Um, I, I felt even more impressed with the offense after I watched the game again this morning, they were really dynamic running the football and for whatever was lacking in the passing game. I, I don't really know what the reason was behind it, but there did seem to be a concerted effort and a tone to the game plan offensively that they knew they could run on Auburn a lot. And often I thought they got really creative with how they gave guys the football you saw early in the game. You know, they, I don't know if misdirection is the right term, but they did that toss a couple times to the short side of the field, set it up once for a play action, set it up once to a run to Judkins, I think, on the other side. And we're doing a lot of creative things. You had a lot of Casey Kelly and Mingo on the same side of the field, and they'd run an outside zone play to that side of it. Uh, some of it with Heath and Mingo, too, which I think they both think are pretty good blockers for the most part. No, Heath's had a holding call or two mixed in there. But it seemed like they really tried to get Auburn – um, you know, or hammered them on the edge early, and that opened up some of the more interior running concepts a little bit later in the game. I, I thought from a rushing game plan standpoint, that was a pretty masterful job, and they did a lot of really interesting things. How they even got Dayton Wade the football in the running game a couple of times. Yeah, I just absolutely. thought they performed really, really well in the running game, and Auburn didn't have much of an answer for it. No, absolutely. I mean, I I made a huge mistake and went on the uh, the site to during the game to kind of read what people were saying, and I mean. I don't know what most people thought about it, but but Weiss and Kiffin had a, a hell of a game plan on offense, and they never strayed away from it. I know it looks like it's conservative and it kind of feels off, but when they know that you know through four quarters they can run the ball all over you, you're going to continue to do it. There's no reason not to. And, uh, I mean, Jackson made plays when he had to, especially with his feet. I mean, you had three guys over 100 rushing yards against an SEC team. You know, that defensively is not you know terrible. They're not great, but they surely have players. Um, I mean, Wade getting him and doing different things, you know, that fake quarterback power pass to, to Evans is a thing of beauty that they, they've had kind of in the playbook, even with Levy the past few years. Um, I mean, they, they played great on offense. I thought the offensive line blocked very well. You know, they lost Pettis for a little bit, and they just adjusted like they have all season. 
Um, Evans looks as healthy as he has from game one. And, you know, I love Judkins as much as anybody, but Evans really just is like a different animal when he's moving at full speed. And of course, you know, Judkins did what he does. He, he just kind of wears you down. And if he sees a hole, he's going to, you know, rip it off for, you know, guess what? Another 50 yard touchdown. Um, Cause they were great. They were great. The entire game. They did not let off. I mean, it was like, I think they scored 14 points. And then 14 points in the second quarter, and then like 10 in the third quarter, and like another 14. I mean, they were just consistent throughout the entire game. You know, if the defense had stepped up, it was going to be a complete blowout no matter what. So I was impressed with them. I think I gave Casey, you know, I've seen it. Uh, that's definitely the biggest issue I have going forward. I think this team definitely misses Trigg. Um, that's obvious <laughs> blocking or pass catching because it seemed like they tried to feature some of the uh, you know a lot of their runs particularly on the edge with Casey Kelly I have no idea how he fared he did drop a ball on like a little short flare out to the right side I know that's been a little bit of an issue do you think it's a huge blocking liability too um I, I think it's definitely he's so much more athletic on the edge that he's got more speed to kind of get out in front of people he may not be you know pancaking people but he's definitely got the athleticism on some of those some of those sweeps and some of those outside zones where you can get out and kind of just get in front of people. So yeah, they're missing that too. I mean, I don't remember seeing Kyron Heath playing very much. I don't think he played. I was looking for it. He may have played a snap. I, I think that I wrote that down. That's a wishful that thinking kind of deal, in my opinion. I don't think you're seeing him on the field unless Casey Kelly goes down. Exactly. Their guys are their guys now. They're down a tight end. It is what it is. Uh, we didn't talk about this last week. God, there was a report out there that Trigg's going to miss the season with a broken collarbone. And I, at the time it was kind of fresh. I didn't really put two and two together. Um, I know this is pretty much the exact same thing. And this is a perfect example. I broke my collarbone in sixth grade and four weeks later, I was kind of good to go. Like it, it's, it didn't seem like a season long injury. I, that's neither here nor there, but I, you know, whether they get him back will be interesting. Cause I do think they need him. But to the point about uh, Heath, I don't think I saw him play. If it was special teams, maybe he got out there for a snap, but to your sure. point, I just wanted to make a note of that. Cause I did write it down. They're just rolling with what they got. It's Casey Kelly. I know they put Trig in the uh, – not Trig, uh, Mingo in the H-back deal a couple times. It's kind of pseudo tight end, help with some blocking stuff. I like that. It seems like that's just kind of what they're going to do. And that's not a knock on Kyron Heat. That guy's a true freshman. It just doesn't seem like he's ready yet. Maybe that changes. But I think they're rolling with Kelly and kind of some makeshift stuff on top of it. Yeah, and uh, Kelly had an, a pretty average game, I would say. Um, I mean, he dropped that ball in the flats, which is, you know, you, you just got to make those plays. And then even on that pass interference play, I mean, you know, you got two hands on the football, you got to bring it down. You know, in close games, the SEC, you have to make a play. And, um, you know, that was a semi-questionable pass interference call in the first place. So if they don't call it, then you're in real – you're in real fucking trouble at that point because then they got the ball back. It's, you know, 21 to 14 or whatever it was. And they um, got right course, down the field twice. All the momentum, they had not almost hadn't stopped them. Not to mention that Dart completely misses the correct read on Watkins wide open in the flats. It may, I mean, bad, he bad, bad. yelling bad. at him about it too yes. as the P.I. is getting called. Because at first I was like, what's he griping about the P.I. call here? And I was like, no, no, he's yelling at him that he missed the read. Yeah, missed the read completely on there, but you know it worked out. I think that was probably as crazy as it is his his only real mistake on the day. Um, he didn't have his feet set, and he threw the ball behind Mingo um, for a touchdown on that third down, which was, I mean, it was still going to have to be a really good throw, but he definitely had him open on the back of the end zone. And then you know running two minute, which they've been you know sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, 
I mean, Mingo kind of just fumbles that ball in the air and it bobbles, of course, bobbles around 10 million times and then Auburn catches it. Not really Jackson's fault. I do think. Don't tell that you know, to Dan Orlovsky. Yeah, I, I, Dan, I do give him a little bit. I understand what he's saying. It's like the play's dead. Just throw the ball in the dirt and live for second down. Obviously, Mingo should catch the ball. But, you know, at the same time, it's like that's such a flow play. And when the flow stops, you know, you have no idea who's coming at you. And he was clearly, like, trying to catch and run quickly because he thought, like, the linebacker's safety would already be on him. I, I probably kind of agree with Orlovsky. Just throw the ball in the dirt. But, again, it's kind of picking nits. Uh, I thought Jackson played fine. Another game with not great stats. But at this point for this team, that's not the most important thing. And I think that's an important point you bring up. You know, he finishes the game. What I think he was like 9-19 and 19 for 100-something yards. Nothing was going to overwhelm you in the passing game that Ole Miss did on that. And I don't know what some of that was. Buchanan seemed to think some of it was scheme. I was texting him a couple of times throughout the game, and he was kind of frustrated with some of the way that some of the passing plays were being called or being run or whatever. I, I don't know exactly what goes into that. But, one, it did seem like they had a concerted effort that they knew they could run the football, and they did. And on top of that, if you want to put a bright side on it, uh, it is kind of funny. Dart's stat line never seems to match exactly how he played, whether it was he played not as great as the 448 yards he had last week. This week he goes 9-19 for 130 but throws three touchdowns. Like That's just never really told the story of him all year. Maybe that's going to be one of those things. But I guess the point I was trying to bring up was he didn't have the head-scratching decision where you're like, what are you doing? Why did you throw that? Turns into a turnover a lot of it seemed like when they did throw it, they weren't getting a lot of separation. They didn't have a ton of success. There didn't seem to be a whole lot there. And instead of force it, you did see Dart throw it away a couple of times. You did see him eat it for a sack a couple of times. And so when there wasn't things there in the passing game, that was a little bit of a step of maturation where he didn't do something wildly reckless and stupid to put Ole Miss behind the eight ball. Um, again, the one pick wasn't his fault. So the decision-making was better despite there not being a ton of success in the passing game or opportunity. Yeah, well, there's also, you know, to play small devil's advocate, he runs for a first down and gets the ball swiped from him, and that absolutely should have been a turnover. But the Auburn player tries to pick it up and, you know, really, really heady play that I'm sure we'll get talked about in the, in the team meeting room of, of Boker, Broker just absolutely diving from five yards away and taking it from the Auburn player. I mean, that, that could have been a real, real, real momentum shift, um, which would have been – uh, not good. So, you know, it, it's close. I feel like it's getting better. I feel like you're seeing him kind of kind of understand what they want him to do. Um, this offensive game plan was very, very, very run heavy, very, very, you know, get the ball to the edges. I feel like this was one of the first times where they thought they had a little bit of uh, athleticism advantage uh, over Auburn, which is pretty crazy to say. Um, and they didn't need to ask him to do much. I think this next week they're going to have to ask him to do a lot more. Yep. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how, how they go about doing that. That is going to be very, very fascinating. But, again, he didn't kill Ole Miss in this game, and that that's a good piece of it. You mentioned the broker aspect of it. I don't know if we're doing a broker show this week. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope we do because there were a couple of times he was giving a guy the business after the play. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of times on the goal line. I don't think he'd mind me sharing this. I'm going to ask him about it if we talk to him this week. I saw him in the Grove after the game for a second, just said, hello, like, how you doing, whatever, talked to his, like, parents for a second and his girlfriend. I was like, hey, I saw you giving that guy the business down by the goal line. Remember, what's up with that? He said, basically, the guy started, to, like, like, chirping at him early in the game, 
And Broker kind of was like, you know, I'm 300 pounds in case you forgot a couple of times and reminded him of that. And apparently the third time the guy goes, I don't want any trouble or something. Like, I don't want this or whatever. And Broker just goes, too late. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is true. I mean, they're, they're already in it. Son. People say it all the time. It's like you start smacking somebody in quarter one, two, and three, they're not going to want it in the fourth quarter. Like, that's, you know, as a running back, they all the Alabama guys, they, they teach – you know, like Derrick Henry and Mark Henry, I'm like, you do not run out of bounds because yeah. eventually in the fourth quarter, that guy's not going to come tackle you and you're going to rip through him for four yards. And that same concept applies uh, on the O-line. Yeah, I saw him giving some guys some pancakes in the end zone a few times, and that's a, a specialty of his. I, th- I thought he played great. I thought the offensive line played really well. I mean, Derrick Hall made a play or two because he's really good. Um, that happens. But, I mean, Pettis – Gets hurt, comes back in, which was great to see. I was really, really concerned about that, the way he was, like, kind of looking at his peck. Um, but he came back and played well. Jaden Williams, just still – he's like a ghost. You still have not even heard an issue with him. Which is, he's good. Basically, which is great. Uh, you know, you've, you've dealt with that. And, um, I mean, snaps were better. I think they, – do they have one bad one? Two. So, they, they had one. Uh, no, 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 one. I just watched it twice. You're right. The, the one that was the third down, that was a third and one or two that turned into a fourth and four because uh, I think he fatted the snap off an ass cheek. It just seemed like – Oh, one. God, yes. God, but so – But one. It was, it was just the one. Off a timeout, too. It's so yeah. bad. That's just fucking terrible. I, I'm sorry, language, but, like, that it's was like one it, of the worst. It's rough. That's a huge play it's early. It's so bad. It's just unacceptable. I mean, it's just – you are off a timeout – or I think the Auburn player got injured. So you're over on the sideline. You come back, and Caleb Warren thinks he's under center. So it's either Warren not having any sort of awareness of what's going on or Dart not, you know, communicating with the offensive line about what's going on because that was just just not unacceptable. You can't – you will lose games off of doing crap like that. I remember they did it um, in 2020. It's Alabama. It was like third and two. And Ben Brown thought Matt was under center and just snapped it, you know, like he was. No, 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 I'm sorry. It was actually the opposite. Matt's under center. Ben Brown thinks he's in shotgun and, like, snaps it right through his legs. They have to, you know, blink first and kick a field goal. I mean, it's just killer, 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 killer. On the offensive line, I guess, staying with that for a second, I guess they found the five. You know, they went with Pettis at right tackle again. James at right guard, and then the rest kind of chalk, right? You go Warren at center, Broker at left guard, and Williams at tackle. I I haven't seen this brought up. I guess this is speculation. I I was a little surprised it wasn't asked. I I don't think Eli Acker's hurt. He played sparingly in reserve against um, Vanderbilt. That doesn't seem like an injury thing. That just seems like they think that this is their best five, and uh, that's kind of what they're rolling with. You know, it's hard to argue with it after they run for 448 yards on the ground. Pass protection seemed to be okay for the most part. I think Dart got sacked once, maybe twice. I can't remember. Yeah, Hall, Hall ripped through Pettis once and, and yeah. got him on a, um, on a third down. And I think they may have gotten him one other time, which which is new. I mean, that's kind of you're, – you're getting to the point where you're playing real defensive linemen. I mean, uh, Hall and Wooden are, like, really, really good pass rushers. They're great players. Uh, maybe the only two they have on that team besides Tank. Um, and the next week, you're going to have Ali Gay and Ojolari who are who are big-time pass rushers. So the, the true freshmen are going to get tested for sure. But they've been pretty damn good so far. They have. And the, the what do you make of that? I'm just curious. I, I you know, I, I hate to say like I would have never thought Acker was the issue. And I don't even know if it's necessarily an issue. I, I guess the better way to phrase that is I was a little surprised that it would be Acker as the odd man out. Just what do you make of the fact that they're trusting another tackle 
or excuse me, another freshman at the tackle spot and moving James inside. Do you think they just think it's a slight upgrade? Do you think Acker's played poorly? I get you probably haven't keyed in on Eli Acker for 200 snaps of the season, but like, I'm just curious what you make of that. I just find it a little bit interesting the way they shuffled it around and now they've settled to a point where they do have two freshman tackles. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a credit to the two freshman tackles, really less than Acker. I mean, Jeremy James has played really, really well at, at right guard before. So it's not a new position for him, and I think they probably see him at right guard as maybe a slight upgrade to Acker. And if you're comfortable with Pettis, which I think you have to be at this point, then you're fine there. And then you've got Warren, who slowly but surely is, is working on the snaps. But, you know, Pat – Blocking wise, he, he's been totally fine. And then you know what you have on the other side. So it, it's just the best fit. It's the best five. That's the most important part, um, getting these guys on the field. And, you know, you kind of have to play your way into it. And when they put Pettis in, he performed well. It's like when you see it, there's no reason to change it up. And then now you've got, you know, real depth or at least a real enough depth with Acker and Mason Brooks who can come in and play and you can be pretty confident with either one of those guys depending on what position goes down. Because, I mean, they had to they had to adjust when Pettis went out, and they were fine still. Nothing really seemed to change that much. So it was, it was a good showing from them. It was, and it's, a, it's just kind of interesting to see how that's been the case, and it hasn't really panned out like we thought, but they haven't really missed um, a beat. I say panned out how we thought in the sense that just who we thought it was going to be and where. Real quick, one more offensive note. What do you make of the Dayton Wade thing? Uh, I, I'll be honest. Before the season, I didn't know who he was. So he plays. No idea who he was. He played it. Plays in a total of nine games over two seasons for Western Kentucky. Comes to Ole Miss as a walk on, and was really kind of awesome in this game. I thought for a minute it was become the Dayton Wade game. Maybe people still can call it that if they want to do such a thing. But that's a walk-on kid played sporadically in nine games. I don't know if Jacor Pearson just dialed his buddy up and was like, it's awesome over here. Do you need to leave uh, Bowling Green Kentucky or whatever this is? Yeah, or Brooks or somebody. Yeah, yeah, or just – I forgot Brooks came from there too. It was just like, I, I don't know. But, it, you know, it speaks to the how good Kiffin is offensively to find guys like that to feature and give the football to and they're effective. Whereas, you know, if you'd have told me a walk-on from Western Kentucky would have had a huge impact in the Auburn game, if you'd have told me that, you know, this time last year, I'd have been like, all right, like I, I, that seems a little bit out there. It's just – it's crazy where they're finding suitable guys to kind of tote the football and handle the football and actually make an impact on the game. Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. I think they had to, you know, supplant some of that offensive plays, you know, with Trig out to, to a different area. And I think they decided that this is what the way they were going to go. And they've given some of these reps to J.J. Henry early on in the season, some of these, you know, sweeps and, you know, short passes and everything, or even deep passes. And he kind of – He's been fine, but not really dynamic. So I think they saw an opportunity to give this kid a chance. I think he's been good on special teams and he made plays when he needs to. And it's also you know important to know that like the, the outside blocking for the wide receivers has just been incredible all season, which really makes those plays happen um, as long as Auburn doesn't see the flow. And, you know, he's just making plays when he needs to. That's It's, it's huge. You've asked for people to step up. Um, you know, I mean, he completely – broke that Auburn DB's ankle on that touchdown pass. I mean, Dart, it would have had to, like, really miss for him <laughs> to not score right there. Terrific round. Um, so, yeah, it's just great play calling. It's great, you know, understanding of your players and your personnel and your, your scheme and knowing what you, these guys can do and can't do. Um, and just another added dimension, of, you know, an added wrinkle to the offense that makes, you know, other people watch film for an extra 45 minutes 
<laughs> on Sunday and Monday to get ready for the game. So, you know, this is what they do. This is what he does. And, you know, it's even more impressive to get him as a walk-on. That's something with the portal that they've really – I mean, when I was there, guys like Pearson, you know, these, these some of these guys are just like – they just want another opportunity to play football. And you, know, you talk about the old days where Nebraska used to have the crazy walk-on program with no limits – you know, when you have some of these guys that, you know, really build depth on in the practices and in the games, it's, it's huge because you don't have to have all these, you know, really, really good players playing too much special teams. When you have a fully capable walk-ons, not adding to your number that are just portal guys that want to have an opportunity to play. And then next thing you know, they're actually making plays. It's just, it's just so invaluable. Um, it's a credit to Wade for, you know, no complaining. You don't have a choice to complain because yeah. you know what the situation you're in is. And uh, just, you know, making plays your numbers called is impressive. And kind of the last kind of capping thought on this offense is one of the things, you know, they've had, they've looked really, Kiffin mentioned this a couple of times. I listened to his interview on the Ryan Rosillo podcast where he talked about, we've been elite talking about the team as a whole. We've been elite in a lot of phases at times, just haven't put the complete game together as you were alluding to earlier. It really, I mean, that's true for the offense as much as any other part of the team. Like, you know, they looked really, really good at the beginning of the game. Now, granted, you got to give some credit for the defense for getting two short fields to set up a couple of touchdowns to make it 21 nothing. As bad as they struggled, they turned by guys over. They entered the week uh, second in the SEC in takeaways behind, I think, only Mississippi State and maybe one other team. I can't remember who it was. And they forced two more really important ones there to kind of get Ole Miss to a, off to a fast start. Now, Ole Miss gets up 21 nothing. The offense has a couple of brief lulls and Auburn gets back into the game. And I feel like that's kind of the next step. Can this offense continue to do that and just dominate an entire game where you don't let Auburn back into the game? Yeah. You can make it 28 nothing, or if they score once, 28-7 and just not really let them have much of a puncher's chance of gaining their breath and getting back into the football game. The other, uh, the other piece of that, though, is they did sustain a couple of really important drives when they need to needed to. And you've seen that a couple of times this year. You know, they got down 10 against Vanderbilt right before halftime. I know a lot of it came on one big throw to Mingo, but they answered with a touchdown that was a really crucial in that point in the game. Um, Ole Miss got up 21-0. Auburn makes it 21-14. You're sitting there thinking, man, you're another three and out from this getting potentially weird. Auburn gets the football after halftime. Ole Miss orchestrates a beautiful drive, goes right down the field to make it 28 to 14, which gave them another degree of separation, obviously, on the scoreboard at the time. But it just felt huge because it's like, how weird is this going to get? I never felt like Ole Miss was actually going to lose that football game, much like I did last week against uh, Vanderbilt. But it did teeter on the brink of that a couple of times um, in both weeks, where last week when they get they did get uh, or this week when they get get to 21-14, I'm like, oh, man, this could kind of get weird here. Then they go on a seven play 60 yard drive right before halftime. And if not for a turnover, would have gone up at least 28 to 14, maybe 35-14 or 31-14 before halftime. So, you know, it's not a huge critique of the offense that just feels like the next jump. But again, on the other side of that coin, when they have really needed a drive to kind of either alter the course of a way a game's going or kind of keep pace, they have done that time and time again this year, which I think is a good sign. Definitely. They always respond well. Uh, you know, in, in any crucial point in the game that they've found a way to call the correct calls, have the kids make plays and, and respond. And I think the most important part about that is that they don't beat you in just one way. They don't give up on the run game like some teams might do when they get nervous 
or the opposite. If it's a throwing game, you know, they don't give up on Jackson's ability to, to win through the air either. Um, and, you know, this entire game, Auburn really, you know, tried as hard as they could to take away Jonathan Mingo to really, you know, put some strain on the passing game. And Jackson just found other guys, you know, or they just continue to run the ball, you know, right up their throat. So they have a lot of – I don't know if how many weapons they really have. I think they've got, obviously, two great running backs and a great running game with, with Dart as well. But they can use different guys and scheme up different guys to make, you know, to make things happen on offense. And they can do it. They do it consistently. They do it throughout the entire game. I think they're only really one time they, they weren't great on offense. It was against Kentucky and a little bit in the second half against Tulsa. But, you know, then on the other side, the defense stepped up. So, like I said, they won games kind of like you see really good NFL teams win games by just a ton of different ways, a ton of different players making plays. And at the end of the day, good teams win close games, and they've continued to be able to do that, which is a credit to them. Like I said earlier, are they any good? <laughs> I still do not know. Um, but I do know that offensively and defensively, they've shown that they can mix it up and, and run different things, run different schemes, run different plays, run different, you know, formations, and, and really, really, really make uh, make defenses and offenses uh, have a lot of issues. Yeah, and like on top of that, it's almost – I don't want to say what more do you want, but this is an offense for, you know, whatever they've, they've looked kind of shaky in the passing game at times. And you mentioned they – like as we talked about, they have the lulls. But, I mean, they ran for 448 yards. They were really, really damn good on third down. They were converting at like 52 or something percent heading they're in. They're like the leading the country, I believe. Yeah, they're really, really effective. They don't go backward a ton. They don't commit a ton of penalties. And so it's a very efficient offense. It's just being done – in different ways. And for the love of God, if I have to hear one more time, we are now seven games into the 2022 season. If I have to hear one more question or announcer broadcast of, you know, you, when you think of Wayne Kiffin, you think of the passing game. I, yeah, at what point? I mean, so it's not said, a niche take anymore. It's, it's every it's single never game. It was now. a take. Like he's yeah. always run the ball. I get it. <laughs> when you had Bryce Young or not Bryce, whoever it was at Alabama, like, okay, fine. He threw it a decent bit and they were okay. Cause they had sick receivers. That has never been the case where he just chucks it all over the yard and doesn't run it. That just doesn't make any sense. He got asked a question or dark got asked a question after the game. It was like, this is a really different offense than we've seen in years past. It's like, is it? Like, is it actually at all? It, it doesn't seem that way. No. I, I don't get that. That's my one media announcer complaint for the week that just, can we stop doing that? It doesn't make any sense. It never did. No, it really never did. I mean, it, I kind of had a feeling this offense would look very similar to last year's with a few different wrinkles added in from both Weiss and Kiffin. And I kind of think it, that really has been the case. I, sure. I think you're seeing – Definitely a lot of lanes uh, under center stuff. I think you're seeing more than we've seen that in, in, since he's been here, which is a nice wrinkle to have, especially when your receivers aren't getting a lot of separation. You can run a different, a lot of different kinds of play actions. You give the defenses a different look, and and they've been a little bit more multiple rather than straight up, you know, Tennessee Baylor style, uh, which I don't think this team is suited for. I don't think they have the receiver depth for that, and they've adjusted. And I think Lane, I think in Ryan's uh, the, his interview with Ryan Rosillo, he was talking about how he treats every team, every game, every season completely differently. And he's not going to bring in players, especially from the portal now or in high school, and then adapt them to his system. It, it's his biggest strength is adapting his system 
and he and Charlie figuring out what offense best suits the team that he has and the defense that they're playing. And they showed that again against Auburn. They're going to throw a three wrinkles in there. And if they're going to have to run the ball, they're going to have to run the ball. And guess what? They did it for like 440 yards. That'll play. Against an SEC team. Like they, they are trying to stop you. And they absolutely could not. Um, and that's the biggest thing. That's the thing that's giving me that sliver, not even a sliver of hope, but that that kind of fact, that hope factor going into these late games is this team is not going to look the same every week. They're not going to run the same shit every week. These coaches defensively, you're playing against a few pretty damn good ones in the next three games. They're not going to know exactly what you're going to do. And if you're able to execute it like I think they can, they're going to have a chance to win every game going down the stretch. Uh, but they're going to have to make plays. Uh, but I do believe that this is why Lane Kiffin's here and why they've been so good is his ability to construct an offense. It's not as much the actual play calling. It's the construction. It's the before the Saturday stuff that he doesn't get enough credit for rather than just throwing the clipboards and calling out the touchdowns during plays. It's the before Saturday stuff about this football team that's been the most impressive. We'll get back to Weldon Rodenberg in just a second, but first of all, I want to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by LV's University Avenue there in Oxford. I had some more filet burgers and a ton of sausage over the weekend, thanks to Greg. It is absolutely the best place to get mis- get meat in Mississippi if you're a Rippy Rights newsletter subscriber. That's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a newsletter from me a couple of times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip. For 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart the grilling season. It was perfect grilling weather on Saturday. Fall is here. Great college football slate. Maybe go buy some for Saturday and then some for Sunday for the NFL slate. Uh, Greg is going to make sure you find whatever it is you need to grill. If he doesn't have it, he will get it for you. He wants to make your grilling experience awesome. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. Which was, this game was a perfect example of it from everything we outlined at the top about the running concepts and how creative they were with it. You're, you're de- exactly right about that, and I think that's very well put. And then just a flip side, the, one of the final defensive thoughts, I know we spent a lot of time about talking about what they struggle with. They've created 13 takeaways through seven games this year. I don't actually know if that's an updated stat because I thought they had 12 going in. Maybe I just had that wrong. doesn't really matter. They forced 14 fumbles. They've only recovered seven of them. So, like, you know, they do need to be better tackling. They need to be better against the run. But if you're opportunistic, you can see team defenses that are average to slightly above average that kind of look like great defenses. You see this every year at both levels that they take the ball away, and that kind of yeah. makes up for some of their other issues. Ole Miss has done that pretty well this year. This is, has nothing to do with anything. I just thought this was amazing on the other side of it. Ole Miss's offense – has fumbled 14 times and only lost three. Talk about having a horseshoe up your ass. Like, that seems to be living right. My God. It's a, it's a bad – yeah, ass. that regression to the mean, you know, they always talk about, especially from, like, a Vegas standpoint, is is turnovers are the uncontrollable variable in football. It, it's something Vegas cannot control. It's something the offense or defense, no matter who you're playing, can control. Um, and that's why you, it's so important to obviously avoid them. Yeah. And on offense – the interceptions have been one thing. The fumbles have been like a real concern. Like we mentioned earlier, Dart fumbled that ball clearly and absolutely could have lost it. All three running backs have kind of, or especially Evans, but Evans and Dart, I mean, they have fumbled the football a lot. The receivers have fumbled the football here and there. They have been incredibly lucky with how those have ended up, you know, going. That is, will not always stay the same. You know, numbers will always even out. Same thing on the defense. 
they've been inc- they've been really 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 good about taking the ball away. I think the DBs have played incredibly well. Igbenosin and Prince, I thought were fantastic in this game. Uh, you know, they they let up a few long passes in the game, but I think that was a lot more to do with just having no pass rush. They were planning on it, and credit to Ashford for making the play. But you can't rely on it all games. You know, you have to make plays on the defensive line in the front seven and can't rely on just taking the ball away every time. But at the same time, it's really impressive. And they've continued it from last season as well, where they were like plus 10 on the year in the turnover margin. Do you think the Auburn thing is as toxic as it seems? I was watching the they showed a little bit of a clip on the Jumbotron of the all Ashford scores to make it 21 to seven. And you see him and Bigsby getting an argument on the sideline. When I watched the game a second time this morning and got the benefit of the TV broadcast, the sideline reporter said she overheard like one of the coaches after they broke them up. Like, so Ashford yelling at basically some version of like, don't give up on me or something. And then the coaches separated him and the coaches were like, who cares who scored the touchdown? That doesn't seem like a team that really is just all in love with one another. Credit to them for fighting and continuing to play hard and, Honestly, Ashford's in a really frustrating situation. I actually left that game thinking a lot more of Robbie Ashford. Not that I thought little of him going in. I just didn't really know a whole lot. I knew he struggled throwing the football. But that's got to be mentally taxing to just know that, you know, everything around you is kind of a clown show at times and you're having to do a lot yourself. I was impressed with the way Ashford played. And I know he shows some frustration. He's younger guys sometimes. But just having the wherewithal to continue to do that every week when you know you're kind of getting your brains beaten in, I was impressed with them in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a – it's such a there's no losing situation for Ashford. You know, he's just getting more game time and more reps. And, honestly, I'm not that surprised he came in and, and played a little bit better. I mean, he definitely missed some throws that he should have hit uh, because he does still have accuracy issues. But he's growing a little bit. You're seeing him improve a little bit. Um, he does some boneheaded things as well, um, you know, that, that, that killed Auburn's drives a few times. Uh, but, I mean, like – we talk, I say it a ton, and I continue to say it. These guys are trying to. I think Auburn, you know, even though the coaching instability, I mean, Harson was getting into it with a coach after one deal. I mean, they have some coaching issues there for sure, but the players have definitely not quit. And I think that's proof of going down 21 to zero on the road after just getting your ass beat by Georgia. That could, that could have been, you know, prime time quitting, and they just didn't do it. And uh, they have some talent. Uh, it's going to be a rough year. He is going to be let go either before the season ends, maybe even before this podcast ends. I'd say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when. Uh, so that that's that's tough for them. And it, it sucks for Harson because, I, I mean, I don't think he's done a very great job. I don't think he was ever given an opportunity to attempt to do a good job either. This situation um, was over in February when all that happened. 100%. So it, it was a total shit show. And that's kind of what Auburn is uh, at this point. I, this is not – Albert Cam Newton is not walking through that door. I, I think, you know, we can talk about jobs a little bit if we want to. I'm kind of firmly on the side of if I had the opportunity to coach at Wisconsin or coach at Auburn, I'm going to I'm going to Wisconsin, a hundred percent. I'm kind of with you. I, that's why I think the lane. I know there was a couple of hot take artists out there this week. Is like, is this an audition for Lane for the Auburn job? It's like. Look, I get there's been a ton of times where Auburn's been a much better job than Ole Miss. I get the advantages that they have that Ole Miss does it. But what, what, who in their right mind would take the Auburn job if you're at Ole Miss with the current state of them, right? That just that, that's ne- that never made any sense to me. I don't think it's a real thing. I don't want to like stir it up more than it already is. But while we're on the yeah. subject of that, like it just 
in this modern day and age, you have to have be pulling in the same direction. I've made this example a couple of times, they'll miss an NIL. For what they are with NIL, they're organized and everyone generally is rowing in the same direction and it's made a gigantic difference. Look at their in-state counterpart, you know, to as a contrast to that. Auburn, they don't, they've always been kind of the mafia and there's a reason the mafia had five families and those dudes killed each other a lot over disputes. Like they, 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 there was a lot of infighting and that's a huge disadvantage in this modern day and age of college football. Because you're already seeing a general exodus of coaches to the NFL for a more sustainable lifestyle. And on top of that, like, if you're not running the same direction with NIL, if you heard a ton about Auburn and their NIL, I'm not saying they don't have money and it's not happening, but that's got to be a piece of it. I, I think the infighting there with the way the college football ecosystem is going is going to make them an unattractive job or a more unattractive job despite the advantages they have. And I think that's a big thing that has not been talked about a ton. No, I, I think they are the fourth best job in the West at this point in time, all things considered. And that's not even including the fact that your two biggest rivals, Alabama and Georgia, are probably the two best programs in the country. And you will be playing them every single year, no matter what happens. And then LSU, I mean, they're not going to be down for long. And guess what? They're average this year, above average. And they went on the road and beat you again. (laughs) I mean, they have owned you for 10 years, almost. I mean, and then – I just – I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't think at this point in time – I mean, you, even if you look at their two national championships, there's a lot of weird fraudulent there. Of course, Cam Newton and that team. Gene Schick is your head coach. You have the most dominant player in college football history, and you have a, like, really weird comeback against Alabama that was just, like, completely – insane that may be the best um, offense i've ever seen that year and it was all right great. and that was because of one player to be honest and then of course michael dyer was great too but so you had a generational talent that you paid a shit ton of money and you won a national championship you can't take it away but there is one player that gets you there and then of course in 2013 they get back to the national or yeah 2013 they get back to the national championship and it took the prayer at jordan Hare and a kick six to get you there. You have been the luckiest program in college football in the last 15 years. It has been insane. That is classic regression to the mean is what you're seeing with this program. They cannot pull in the same direction. They absolutely can recruit at the highest level, but their issue is that they can't get the best of the best in Alabama. I mean, maybe at the best one year, they split the top talent with Alabama. But then you have to go to Georgia, and guess what? That's maybe the best program in the country, so you're not splitting the Georgia kids with them. Florida is not going to be shit for long, in my opinion. LSU is not going to be shit for long, in my opinion. I mean, I don't even think they're that shit right now. Uh, it's just so much worse for a program than, than people think it is. And there's always these, these programs where there may be 13, 14, where it's like if you have things going right, you can win a national championship. Auburn has shown you that, but in the most unique and weird way possible. It's not like Ohio State. It's not like Alabama, where when it's all rolling right, you're going to win it, and you're going to win it because you truly are the absolute best team. Auburn has to overcome their own rivals, their own people, the entire SEC West, and that's not including the fact that Texas and Oklahoma are coming too. I just, It's not the job it was 10 years ago. It's still really good. And guess what? If they offer Lane $12 million, $10 million a year, he might go. But I just, I just don't think his mindset will be that way. Um, and I think Ole Miss will be able to pay him as much as he wants or needs to stay. And 
you know, if it's all about money, you can't control it. But I do think Ole Miss for him makes so much more sense right now. Yeah, and the you know, it's almost when you have all that being true, uh, probably undercutting your head coach and trying to dig up as much shameless dirt and lacking any sort of basic humanity to try to get him fired for cause in February to undercut the recruiting aspect of it too. Probably not the best strategy. Uh, you know, I had the Auburn uh, Auburn beat writer on who was awesome, by the way. I didn't know the guy and he was talking about, you know, all this went down while Harson's politicking at the senior bowl. And he had done like a forum with Nick Saban and was kind of kissing some babies in mobile and kind of doing that whole thing. And all of a sudden that whole storm is just completely created. And, you know, to the best of everyone's knowledge, mostly fabricated, um, basically just trying to throw you know shit at the wall and see what sticks for the lack of a better phrase. Like it's just, it seems like a mess. And it, it, again, I'm with you. I don't think Harson's done a great job per se, but what opportunity is he has to do a decent job? It just seems like he's been undercut at every corner. Same with Alan Green. I know Alan Green's a pretty good AD. And I don't know what went into those last contract deals where his contract runs out and they were just like, we're not renewing it. But if I were Alan Green, I'd be like, no, I'm good. I'm probably just going to get out of here. This is an absolute disaster type of thing. It's basically so, what he did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like mean, now it's his his the the Harson thing. It's it's so unique because they they attempted the coup and and he know, won, which is not the a first good one. Thing. The first one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. The first one to try higher steel, and then you know Green ended up with Harson, and it was just a complete disaster from the beginning. It was never going to work, and I think Green he tied you know. He went with the wrong pony in that deal. And not that saying that Kevin Steele would have done any better, but that he probably would still have his job if, if he had gone with what they wanted and hired Steele. Um, so it, it's a total shit show over there. And I don't know what this coaching search is going to look like. Um, I I refuse to believe they're hiring Hugh Freeze. I just don't see I kind of want it to happen. I think it would be hilarious. I think it would be hilarious. I, I don't see it. I, I, think, I think he is such – People like some people think the DM thing wasn't a big deal and it was kind of like, you know, brushed away. And that was that I'm kind of like, the exact with, that's his whole brand. That's his whole issue is exact it, that type of stuff. That is a big deal when that's your whole thing. And it's like, is this a changed guy? Actually, no, it, it's not by any stretch of the imagination. No, at Liberty, like no one cares because that place is just, you know, acidic with bad people, you know, and at Auburn, if you do that in the SEC, if you do that. I mean, you're, you're close to getting fired. I just – I don't I don't think you can do it. I, I guess people can say he's changed. I don't doubt that, you know, there's certain aspects of his life that are much better. I don't think he was ever a bad person by any means. I don't think he ever did anything criminally or horribly wrong. I mean, despite maybe some people's opinions on, on Tampa massage therapists. But I couldn't do it. After all of this shit you've gone through at Auburn, that's the guy you're going to bring in, you know, to bring stability – I just don't see it. I, it sounds like they're going to go with like Jeff Grimes or some puppet. Though I do think Jeff Grimes is a good football coach for for you know just for that. But I just don't know what they're going to do, and I don't think it really matters at this point. It's the last word you brought up. Like maybe they don't care about being hypocritical, but if you want to do the Harson thing, fire him and say we need stability card. I, you, Hugh Freeze is not Mister Stability, so it's just it doesn't make sense from that perspective. Uh, one last thing before we get to kind of the SEC and get out of here. I mean, Ole Miss does survive. They're 7-0 and for the second time since 1960-something. That's the first time they're 7-0 and without Tampa hookers and bobble verses and vacated wins since that 1960-whatever mark. You know, we talked about what everything they struggled with, some of the things they did well this week, but as, I think it's worth mentioning on each podcast, this is rarefied air. They're 18-3 and in their last 21 games. They continue to find ways to win football games, and 
you know, after Alabama goes down, I guess this will lead us into discussion kind of around the SEC, but this is right there for the taking for them with the way this is set up and them getting Alabama at home and LSU being down and A&M being whatever the hell they are. Um, It's, it's right there for them. And most of this team's quote unquote fatal flaws are fixable to some degree, which is encouraging to a sense. It's just, also, the other side of the way the schedule plays out, it's just weird because we don't know how they're going to react in a road environment. I don't think they're going to fold or quit, but I also can't tell you that Dart's not going to make two terrible decisions that changes the game. It's right. It's, it's right there for the taking. And despite not necessarily passing the eye test this past week, they did check the box and they survived. And week to week as college football has become weird results, that becomes more important you know, to remind yourselves each week is, hey, they survived. They won a game by two touchdowns. They put up a ton of points. And they're 7-0 with five games left. And where does this go from here? Because, man, with Alabama losing, it is ripe for the taking. I mean, you are currently number one in the West. You, yes, you, you are. are. Entering the yeah. fourth week of October. That didn't happen often. Yeah, you are, uh, you are not tied. You are number one. And every game from here on out is, is your biggest game. And I think that's a really good thing. You have absolutely no excuse to not come out, you know, with your hair on fire in any of these games. Um, I mean, it's definitely concerning. I think it's a real thing. They have not played a true road game yet. Uh, I mean, and that's just a fact. They have not played one. And this, you know, environment on Saturday against LSU is going to be outrageous. It is. I made comments on the last pod about Tiger Stadium not being as what it used to be. Uh, I don't believe that'll be the case on yeah, Saturday. It'll be back to normal. No, I mean, this is this is the game that, that the old crowd does come to. This is the game that they still have, you know, a ton of hate for, you know, even growing up when Ole Miss was not great and LSU was, you know, really, really good every year. That place was was packed for Ole Miss. And, you know, to Ole Miss's credit, some years they, they came and played really well, and some years they completely folded and lost, like in 2014. Um, they have not won in Tiger Stadium – since 2008, I believe. Um, I think that was a Jevin Sneed year with uh, Mike, Mike Wallace and them, uh, if I remember that correctly. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's real, you know, and that, that's a real factor. I, I think this team will be prepared. I think they will have a great game plan. I think they're fully capable of beating them. Uh, but they're going to have to play mistake-free or as damn near close to it as possible because this will be a place where if you start slow, you make bad mistakes – you know, they, it, it, it can consume you. And we haven't seen them really get popped in the mouth on the road. I, Vanderbilt doesn't count. And Georgia Tech, you were up, you know, you won that game before it started. So it'll be interesting to see. But into the overall aspect, yeah, I mean, it's all there for you. It, it's, it's completely, completely there for you to win the West. It's there for you to make the playoff. You can, you can, it is. I mean, you can survive a loss. You absolutely can. But what's even more exciting is that you don't have to survive a loss if you just win the games. I mean, Alabama is a winnable game. I think they're still freaking really good. I think Tennessee, you know, just it beat them. We'll talk about it later. But it, like I said, Ole Miss, it's all there for you. I think this game, I've kind of circled this one because before the season, I said I think they're going to be 7-0, and and I think they're going to lose this one. Um, I feel better about it. I do feel better about it, but it's still, in my opinion, the biggest game of the year by far. And not because it's just the first one. I think it's it's a team that has to prove that they can win on the road because they're going to have to do it two more times in pretty hostile places to get where they need to go this year. 
Absolutely. I think that's well said. I really don't have a ton to add to it. I will say it opened as Ole Miss, I think, minus two and a half. Looks like it's at one now. That feels uh, about right. Um, you know, if it swung to a Pickham or LSU ended up being favored by the end based off this past week, it wouldn't stun me. But it's it's an even matchup. And can you LSU is going to be favored by Tuesday? I think, <clears throat> I think it'll it'll settle around LSU minus two, minus two and a half. I, I, I would be shocked if that's not the case. It's the biggest week of the year, and there will be tons to break down from that. Let's take a look around the SEC before we get to soccer corner. Uh, you know, I don't know why we'd bury the lead here. Tennessee goes and beats Alabama. I watched a decent bit of the second half of this game. I was kind of doing the Grove mingling thing. I watched part of it actually during the weird lightning delay um, and then yep. watched pretty pretty good amount of the second half. LSU – I mean, excuse me, Tennessee was really good offensively, and it seemed like they kind of did what they wanted, and they were just – better than Alabama I thought for much of that game I thought Bryce Young played pretty well for the most part but that Alabama defense got exposed and you know Tennessee got enough stops when it needed to and one of the uncharacteristic pieces of it was Alabama kind of peeing down their leg toward the end of the game it's like they missed the field goal whatever the kid pulls it way right or whatever but like 15 seconds that's two snaps three maximum two if you're going to try to kick a game-winning field goal and like Literally, the only thing Alabama couldn't do was give up two basically 20-plus yard receptions. Tennessee needed 40-ish yards to have a chance, and that's exactly what they did. That's very uncharacteristic of a Saban team and kind of indicative of seemed like Tennessee breaking that Alabama defense to a degree. I wasn't surprised by this. I thought this could happen. That's not really a pat on the shoulder thing. I just was like, I don't know. This seems prime for you know Alabama to get blitzkrieged offensively because I just didn't think they'd have time to figure out their offensive struggles they struggled again and that that's absolutely what happened they got down 28 to 10 what a scene and that was maybe the game of the year so far I think it's going to be the game of the year I'd be you know hard pressed to imagine one being better than that one I mean it was incredible I mean Tennessee came out and absolutely blitzed Bama in the first quarter and really the first half um and then Hypo he, he coached a series as if he was losing when he was yeah. up by two touchdowns and going for it there was just not, I just wasn't the right call. I, I understand it. Uh, I understand a lot more if you're on the road, uh, but you're at home, you have all the momentum and you gave Alabama life and to Bryce Young's credit. I mean, he's probably going to be feeling it today, but he played an absolutely ridiculous football game. I mean, those receivers are so average. They really are. I mean, it's like I don't. I'm, it's hard for me to even say they're good. I think they are very average. And he just made play after play after play. The biggest issue for Alabama was just simple, simple motions from Tennessee, and they, they blew a coverage two or three times. And Hooker has just an incredible deep ball. If you give their receivers five feet of space, he, he's he's knocking it down. Um, and they, I mean, they were. I think they were the better team, and, you know, it, it turned out they won the game. It definitely could have been either way. Um, it got clinched butthole time towards the end on a few plays, uh, but it was an incredible game. I mean, it was it was so awesome. It was exciting to see. You know, I'm not the biggest Tennessee fan in the world. I, I don't hate them. It was kind of cool to see them get excited, and, you know, they're in kind of Ole Miss territory. I think they're both in the same, you know, point of time where they've got a coach after three years, and they're both undefeated. Tennessee's made the big jump. They've won the big game, and Ole Miss has to respond and do the same thing. Um, so it was really impressive with Hypo. And I, I had said a lot last year. I thought he was going to do a great job. Don't know if I saw this coming, but I did think I did think he, you know, his offense is so scheme based, and it's it's kind of a a equalizer if you don't have as much talent. But the big thing is that if you do have a shit ton of talent, which I think they really do with the quarterback and 
and some of the receivers, uh, it can be absolutely a terrifying to defend. And Bama saw that. They absolutely did. And the other characteristic part of the Alabama thing is, is I saw a stat yesterday, their last four true road games, dating back to the uh, Iron Bowl last year, Alabama committed 11 penalties that one, 15 against Texas, 10 against Arkansas, and 17 against Tennessee. That's not yeah. Saban-esque, and that cost no. them again. It cost them a ton against Texas where they tried to survive against a backup quarterback, and it cost them again in this one. That That's that's the piece of it. It's, it's kind of un-Alabama-like in that sense, right? Average-ish offensive line, receivers not creating separation, and a lot of lack of discipline. That's what makes this feel different and then feel gettable, despite being still really, really good, right? But that's what makes this feel different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've, they've made some crucial mistakes. I do think people – the COVID year changed people's minds so much, realizing, you know, what home crowds were like. And I think we've finally gotten back after – truly, I do think it's taken two years to get back to when big games are big games, you've got damn near a full crowd. You know, it's never going to be like full, full, triple, full again. Uh, Tennessee was about as close as you're going to get um, at these days. Uh, and it's hard playing on the road. I, I think their lack of – you know, some of those years it was a lack of a running game. And then this year, I think it's lack of like real athletic downfield passing game. Uh, so they, they just haven't been They're They're still great, by the way. They're still great. They're still a, a very, very good football team. Uh, but they haven't had that just dynamic edge to them, whether it's in one phase of the game or the other. That's really separated them. Um, and I thought their pass rush would be better. I, I, Dallas Turner and Will Anderson were just completely nullified in that game. Uh, they really did nothing. And then, you know, if you can't get to Hooker and they've got time, I mean, one, he can absolutely run. And then, you know, Alabama's DBs, it's, there's no certain back there anymore. There's no, you know, some of these guys have had in the past that they struggled immensely against some of the downfield passing game from Tennessee. So they're just not as good as I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to go undefeated easily. Uh, but teams have just kind of schemed them up. They really should have lost. They should have three losses. You know, it's very – if Quinn Ewers does not get hurt, I think Texas wins. If Jimbo knew how to call offense, I think A&M wins. Uh, so, it's a weird season, but I'm, they're not dead yet by any means because Bryce Young is, is truly, in my opinion, he's that good. Um, but he's still hurt. So, it's a weird – just a weird game, an awesome game, a weird outcome that says a lot about both programs. Uh, it was an awesome thing to watch. When does Tennessee play Georgia? They play them November 5th, the same weekend LSU plays Alabama. So that's in two weeks Ooh, in Athens. That is uh, – I believe that's Ole Miss's – no, that's Ole Miss's – I thought it was bye week. Is it bye no, week? No, no, I think it's Ole Miss's bye week. Oh, lovely. That's wait, 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 No, when does Ole Miss play Alabama? They play them – yeah, it's Ole Miss's bye week. It is. That'll, uh, that'll be good stuff. So we'll see. It's right there for the taking for Ole Miss. Florida, LSU. LSU just playing pretty good football. I, I don't know what to make of either of these teams. I don't think you can judge. You know, this was kind of a game where these guys are always going to be linked together for better or for worse for LSU yeah. passing on them. I don't make – first-year programs, I don't – like, you know, this week-to-week -week thing where we have, an, have to have a ringing indictment on a coach or a program every time someone loses – this was just – I thought LSU played better. I think they probably have a little bit more talent than Florida, and they finally put the pieces together offensively, which, you know, for Ole Miss is not coming at the right time, I would say, by heat stretch when you're facing them. But I don't know. I thought this was a weird game, and LSU was just the better team. Florida got behind early. Um, but I don't make a ton from it either way. I just thought these were two kind of average teams trying to find themselves in their first year. 
Yeah, I think Brian Kelly was dealt a better hand than Billy was from a just a, a talent wise on the rosters they were given. Um, Florida's defense is like legitimately terrible, which is something we haven't seen in quite a while. You know, maybe they haven't been elite in the past, but they are really bad. Um, I, I think Kelly and Denbrock have have been able to instill some confidence in Daniels. I think you saw him take some real chances down the field for the first time all season. You know, the, the best, you know, part or the best skill group on that team or the best group in general is, is their receivers. And they finally got them the balls uh, for like really the first time this entire year. And they looked pretty damn dangerous. Um, the offensive line is a work in progress for that team. And Florida's defensive line just really was completely non-existent. I mean, LSU ran the ball for the first time effectively all year. They threw the ball for the first time effectively all year. Uh, I mean, they just looked like a more confident team. They looked like a better coach team. And that's not – I don't want to say that too much because I think Billy's getting a lot out of Anthony Richardson and the yeah. inability to run the ball. I think he's doing a, a pretty decent job. Um, but Kelly found something this week on the road in a pretty damn tough environment. Um, I guess a credit to him and that crew. Uh, the special teams is still terrible. It's absolutely a miracle. Polian is still, you know, has a job. I don't know, you know, what kind of deal he's got with Kelly. It's it's insane. I mean, he, I don't know what blackmail he has on him. I mean, they dropped another punt. They won their fourth punt returner. They had a, two more penalties on special teams. And, I mean, against Ole Miss, that could be a game you could lose. Absolutely. To Ole Miss. And Ole Miss can beat them uh, with issues in that phase of the game. Um Defensively, LSU is very talented individually. As a unit, not great. They, they are okay. I, I'm willing to say okay. Um, I think they have a pretty good defensive line. Uh, they have four very good players on the defensive line. Linebacker-wise, they have Harold Perkins, this true freshman, who is an absolute freak. The other guys that play are not good players. Uh, that's just a fact. They they are they are not good at that position besides Perkins, and in, in the back, I mean, the, the guys are not bad players, but they're not LSU's caliber DBU by any means. I think the safety's a real weak spot. I think the corners have really good length, but they are not speedy guys. It'll be interesting to see how Ole Miss attacks this defense because they are very fast. I just don't know if they're very good. It's hard to really say that they've shown promise. Uh, they, they played fantastic in the second half against Mississippi State. They played like garbage against basically three quarters against Tennessee. Um, it, it's a weird matchup. Um, but Florida, that, that team's got a long way to go. Um, I think LSU was simply just better. The air raid taketh and the or air raid giveth and the air raid taketh away. Um, I, I may get that printed on a shirt. I'm not the biggest slogan guy, but uh, I, I have written that over and over again. I didn't get to watch a ton of this because my girlfriend's father is a big LSU guy. Maybe we're all just LSU spies on this podcast. I don't know. So <laughs> his house, his rules. I wasn't fighting him too much on that. He was enjoying the hell out of the game, but this was on my phone, second TV treatment type thing. Um, but I did watch a decent bit of the second half. I, Kentucky just ran right at them. Um, they rode Chris Rodriguez the whole game. And then Mississippi State, kind of the better version of their Raid is the fact that, like, oh, they're kind of running the ball some, and they're doing some nice things. They have two good running backs. They gave their running backs, I think, either seven or nine carries combined. 
Uh, one of them had two carries for 16 yards. Again, not a math major. That's eight yards a carry. I'd probably do that more than twice. Like, I just – I don't get it. I, I get that they – I mean, it's not like they were chasing the game either. It was 3 nothing or 3-3 three, three at halftime. I, I I don't understand it. And that, to me, is kind of the air raid thing. Oh, Mississippi State should have won that game. They could have easily won that game. I thought they were probably a better team than Kentucky was, even with Levis playing. But then you go up and just lay an egg to where – I keep reminding Ole Miss people about this all the time – with Lane Kiffin in this offense, you're never like, hey, what the hell are we doing? Why is this happening the way it is? Where you have games like this with the air raid where it's like, what what are you doing? Why are you not running the football? That, that I mean, look, State plays three backup quarterbacks in a row or two backup quarterbacks in a row, feeling pretty good about themselves. And then all of a sudden you, you jump. I mean, you fail to get over what seemed like not the biggest hurdle in the world. That's just – that's a brutal loss, and that brings seven and five – back in the picture pretty realistically that's just a bummer of a loss for state and a huge win for Kentucky who needed that desperately yeah it's a huge win for Kentucky I really did not get to watch like any of this game I was at a at a bar they had the Astros on which was 18 innings so that was on most TVs and then we got them to put put uh LSU Florida on after Tennessee I didn't, did not get to see much of this one but it's just a classic it's a classic Mike Leach game it is I think Mike Leach is a really good coach I think he's done a really, really good job with Mississippi State. I don't even think they're that bad of a football team. But this just happens with this team. If a, a Kentucky has the athletes to be able to play de- them defensively like they want to play. And if you can't run the ball, if you can't, you know, really effectively change your scheme or do anything different, and if it fails and fails and fails and you can't adjust, you're going to get beat. It's incredibly hard to win on the road in the SEC. If you do not show up, you'll get your butt kicked. And it's from all intents and purposes, it sounds like they really laid an egg at Kentucky. And, uh, you know, next week, I, I don't know who they play Alabama next week. Yeah, that's, that's tough timing there in Tuscaloosa. It's tough timing. It's in Tuscaloosa. Um, I bet you they play well. I bet you they play better. The issue is that Alabama with Leach has just absolutely dominated. They've had no success. No success against them. Um, So that's – I mean, that's obviously going to be tough. Of course, back-to-back road games for any team, no matter who you are, who you're playing, it's incredibly difficult. Um, I I bet they have some ego issues in that locker room right now. Uh, They probably got, you know, knocked down a peg, and that's always tough. You know, how are you going to get up from that? Uh, I think they have enough talent to – play with Bama and give them some issues. Bama's going to have to pick themselves off, up off the mat too. Um, so it's kind of a weird uh, situational handicap there of who, what team shows up. Uh, but, yeah, Mississippi State, that's just a just an absolutely brutal loss for them. It is. It's uh, and a big one for Kentucky there. Only other real one we had was BYU and Arkansas. And honest to God, I forgot this game happened. And it was an interesting one. I wish I could have watched it. I don't actually know what time it kicked off. But I just got to admit, it was, like an, it was like a three o'clock game. That didn't make much of the rotation. I don't know. Congrats to you know, KJ Jefferson plays. That felt like a get right week for kind of an emotionally fractured Arkansas team. I figured they would out athlete BYU, but good for them. I can't comment beyond that because uh, the, the next snap I see of that will be the first one. Yeah, I, I watched like a little bit of it. Um, Arkansas has a lot of injuries, but they continue to play hard. That that's just you know credit to Pittman for getting these guys up because their season has taken such a dramatic turn. Um, no credit for the athletic director who schedules an away game at Provo Ooh. in the middle of the SEC season. Um, outrageous decision, um, absolutely insane. There's only there's only three teams that have ever done it. 
Mississippi State has done it twice where they've gone to Provo to play. And Arkansas was the first time since 16 that a team has gone over there. They said that during the broadcast. Um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, but, I mean, that team's a completely different team with K.J. Jefferson. Defensively, they're still terrible. Um, the back end is really, really bad. BYU has been overrated the entire year. They had one really good win against Baylor, which doesn't even look that good anymore. Uh, Athlete-wise, they just they can't compete with teams that they are going to spread you out and beat you by just sheer speed, and they, they've shown it now like three or four games in a row. So good win for Arkansas, not an easy place to play, not an easy th- you know game on the schedule, but they passed their test, so good for them. Nothing else on the national landscape. TCU seemed to pull one out of their ass. Like, I, that game seemed pretty nuts. I had to over in that for an uncomfortable for me and went to overtime and hit in that. So that was awesome. That um, helps. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, not really uncomfortable. I always like to joke around with Elizabeth. I'm like, oh, it's really – like, I need to win this one. Um, this wedding y'all got coming up might not happen. With <laughs> yeah. It's a sore subject. Um, what else happened? But, no, TCU, I mean – it's crazy. I mean, I've got it going on there in Fort Worth. I mean, I have a ton of friends who went to TCU, which is kind of odd from Baton Rouge, but there's a, a lot of my friends. A lot of them. Uh, MC lives right off that campus. It's an awesome place. I love Fort Worth. I love that campus. TCU is an incredible place to go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And they deserve this. I think Patterson was just so stale there. And it's not like they have, like, new players. This is, like, the same exact team uh, from last year with these guys, and uh, they look completely different. Dykes – Credit to him. It's, it's an incredible coaching job. I, in my opinion, coach of the year, I know Hypo will get a lot of credit, but you kind of knew who Tennessee was this season. Dykes, what he's done with TCU, is like completely transformed that team um, in a pretty competitive Big 12 uh, as well. Um, so credit to them. That was probably the second best game of the week um, on the slate. It is now time for the fastest growing segment on American soil. Before we get out of here, it is Soccer Corner. I talked to a couple of pod listeners over the weekend who are not soccer guys. They're like, man, are you really into that EPL stuff? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been scouting for years. Um, we still – it cracks me up. This is the greatest segment of all time because people don't understand that it started tongue-in-cheek, still kind of is. I get messages from people who's like, did you catch this game or this match? I'm like, nah, I had stuff going on. as it work? Yeah. Actually, the hell up. It still is a joke. <laughs> what uh, what do we have going on in the EPL this week? It's another week where Man City's not necessarily at the top. We got Arsenal at the top this time. Man City's most recent match, didn't they have a big loss? I read something about that earlier this morning. What's going on in the EPL uh, over the last seven days? Yeah, so Arsenal won again. They beat our American heroes in Leeds today. Um, Tottenham beat Everton again, so those two teams are still on the up and up. City lost. They lost this morning 1-0 on the road uh, at Liverpool, which is, you know, one of the most difficult places to play in the world. And it's the only team that's really given them a ton of issues over the past year or so. Um, and Liverpool has been in terrible form, to be honest. Uh, but they came in, they did what they do a lot, and they won a weird game. You know, the over-under was set at three and a half, and it was a 1-0 game. It was truly incredibly exciting game. I watched I watched it before we turned on the Saints game, which was unexciting. Um, and, you know, it was just like what real quality soccer looks like. It, it's just kind of much watch stuff when you've got that much talent on the field. Not great finishing by either team. They had plenty of opportunities on both sides, but Liverpool made it count when it when it happened. And, uh, you know, that's kind of getting them off the mat a little bit. They're probably in like, what, ninth or eighth now. But City, that's now four points behind Arsenal. And 
you know, that's, that's, that's more than a full game. So yeah. it, it kind of makes things a little sketchy. I do. I still think they're going to end up winning it by 10 points, uh, but it's definitely a real thing now, you know, it's still early, but it's a real thing. Has anything gotten better for Man U? I see they're in fifth, 16 points, though, big three-point jump from uh, fourth place. Are things better? What's kind of the outlook for uh, for your team now? It's parts of it are better and parts of it are worse. Um, they played Saudi Castle, Newcastle at home today and tied nil-nil. They have this weird issue right now where they're actually getting really better play from the midfield. Defensively, they've been really good when Veron starts. Uh, on the wings, Rashford and Sancho and Anthony have been serviceable to good. Um, the issue is they don't have a striker. And Ronaldo is playing, and he is he's just not what he used to be. And they're, they're having this issue of, like, trying to force-feed him the ball so he's happy when it's absolutely ruining, you know, the flow of the game for the team. It's kind of like, you know, if when Kobe was, like, 38, I know RIP Kobe, of course, but – you know, the, the Lakers are just force feeding in the ball with a bunch of guys. And it's like, this is really probably not your best way to win. I understand the respect factor, but you're kind of not letting these young guys grow or the team grow into the way they need to be. So that's definitely been an issue for them. They've slightly overcome it despite that, but uh, they're definitely not a great team, but they, I think they have a chance to be good. Saudi Castle, sixth place, just kind of creeping up ever so slowly. They're kind of in the mix, probably not winning the thing, uh, the uh, EPL, but uh, they are a top half. This uh, They're three, six, and one. That doesn't seem like a great record, but that has put them in sixth place. Is that correct? Like that, that is, that seemed like it doesn't add up. What's, what's going on with the Saudis? When can I expect a big, uh, big jump from them? They're, they're weirdly consistent. It's a team that has not been consistent in the past years. Their, their managers come in and they're really playing well defensively, um, which is something they've had like huge issues with in the past, but they've been really stingy um, on that side. And, you know, I think they've struggled to score, uh, which is a little unusual for them. They, they've got some pretty awesome playmakers up top that haven't really made it happen but for them it's just about building i mean they have no limit they have as much money as you can want and it's just kind of staying up there seeing how they how they spend in january and it, you know if they're in spitting distance I, I don't think they'll win it but for them it's really about getting to the champions league as much as it is about winning this league it's trying to find top four because that just puts you in a different category a different level um, of what you can pay players, what you want to pay players, your competition changes. It's just a, it's a step in the right direction. And it's not an easy one to do. And I don't necessarily think they will do it, but they're, they're just hanging around. It's impressive. We have breaking news. Wolverhampton scored. Um, they are now at four <laughs> goals on the year, which led to a four nil or a one nil win over Nottingham Forest. So all they needed was one. They're now at four goals on the season, probably the greatest soccer record of all time, two, three, and five. Um, the goals have been hard to come by. Uh, they are out of the relegation zone, and that's the last thing I'll ask you at this week's soccer corner. Is the relegation zone kind of solidifying itself? I know you got a bunch of teams around nine points, but Nottingham Forest is now bringing up the rear. I know Leicester has been tough the entire – like it's been a tough year the entire year. Southampton been down there as well. And then you got three teams, Wolverhampton, Villa, and Leeds. Uh, our real-life Ted Lasso struggling a bit. But do you think the bottom of the crop is kind of solidifying itself uh, finally through like nine, 10 matches here? Yeah, I think you're starting to see the bottom form pretty, pretty substantially. Um, as you know, kind of weirdly enough, Bournemouth has been like one of the only undefeated teams over the last month. Um, and they've kind of solidified their stances, attempting to stay up. I think Nottingham 
has been terrible. They just have not been good. They can't score, can't defend. It's, and they spent a ton of money, you told me, didn't they? They bought 26 players to start Whoa. this year. So they went all in. And, um, you know, maybe it takes some time to gel and they'll figure it out. Um, but, yeah, them, Wolves, I think Aston Villa has been incredibly disappointing. Uh, they're definitely in that contention to, to go down as well, which would be pretty bad for them. Everton has not been great. Leeds, I have faith in them, but they've been very, very shaky over the last month after like really starting hot. So, yeah, the, the top and bottom, the, the contenders and pretenders are definitely starting to show themselves pretty early. This has been the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is Soccer Corner, a huge week ahead for the Ole Miss Rebels. I appreciate the time, my man, and uh, we'll have much to talk about next week. Absolutely. That was Weldon Rodenberg. I appreciate his time. As always, if you made it to the end of our podcast, I appreciate your time as well and making this podcast a part of your day. We uh exciting week ahead, a massive game for Ole Miss. I'm fired up about the next coming weeks to come and to uh, dissect it all here with the podcast family we got rolling. Anyway, we'll be back on Wednesday uh, with something. I don't know exactly what yet. Definitely going to have Buchanan at some point in the week. Still working out the schedule, but two more terrific pods before the Rebels head to Baton Rouge. So y'all have a wonderful start to your week, and we'll talk to you soon.